Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lamarine, State the Baird, Stephen Means. Does Ohio State have a big game problem? If you have not listened to our Friday podcast that was a Buckeye Talk retalkables about the 2020 Ohio State Clemson semifinal, I would listen to that because that certainly is informing our discussion here because that's an example of a big win in a big game in the Ryan Day era. And we are we are asking the question looking at the numbers, getting texture responses about, is this an issue? And this is beyond the Michigan stuff, right? And, and part of it is almost like defining like, what is a big game? But I want to give credit where credit is due because this began, this entire topic began with a text that we got a month ago from a texter in the 716. And it's so long, I had to break it up into seven different screenshots. And it is... I don't know that I would always recommend sending a, a text that takes up seven different screenshots, but this texter put in the work and I really appreciated it. And I was like, we got to save this. So I'm not going to read everything that this texter sent from the 719, but I'm going to say thank you for sending it. But I'll read some excerpts from it. This year is a turning point for Ryan Day. I think he can rebound, but three in a row, as far as losing to Michigan, feels more and more like Cooper to me. No excuses, just results in 2023. I wonder if it's not just Michigan, though. Ryan Day has had eight big games. And again, this is a little bit about a big game definition. And there's a million different ways you can do it. I do think you have to be consistent with it because I think it is very easy to call losses big games and overlook games that once you win them, it's like, well, so you have to be consistent. So this texter is saying he's two and six in the big games. And he is counting, and actually, if if you count all these, it's he's counting the three Michigan games that every Michigan game is a big game in this texter's mind, plus the playoff games. So it's the three semifinal games, the national championship game, plus the Oregon non-conference game. 
But like also this texture like doesn't count the Notre Dame game when Notre Dame was a top five team. And it's like, well, why would you count Oregon and not count Notre Dame? So for instance, I think that's a, a lack of logical thinking that I don't think you can ding Ohio State for losing to Oregon, but then also not give them credit for beating Notre Dame. Like what's the difference? It's a major non-conference opponent, except Notre Dame was actually ranked higher. So he's saying that Ohio State is losing these games. His point, the, his or her point is, and the point is relevant. He needs to learn to build a mentally tough team that can close the deal more than 25% of the time, especially in the last week of November. And thinking about the rivalry, it led me on a path to how Ohio State coaches have done in big time games in general. And again, I don't agree with all of the comparisons here, and I did my own comparisons here. But this texture says this might be worth an offseason podcast, which I agreed with, which is why we saved it. It's the offseason, and now we're doing it. Some thoughts. Now, anyway, this texture then has their definition of big games. Their conclusion is this. Urban and Jim Tressel found ways to lose to teams that were not great. And you talk about Urban to Iowa in 17, to Purdue in 18. You talk about Tress to Purdue in 09, to Wisconsin in 10, right? Like games like that. Doing this exercise and seeing lower-rated teams stealing chances for championships is crazy. Trestle started and ended well in big games, but those middle years were tough. Day always beats who he is supposed to beat, but struggles to make that jump. He's super close to Clemson and Georgia, but he still lost. What does this mean about Day's program, if anything? It might be more than a Michigan thing. So this is a texter who's comparing things, Nathan, across coaches, across eras, and is saying, is it maybe not the issue that Ohio State's lost two straight to Michigan, but that they haven't won other big games as well? So trying to lay this out. The first question I asked to the Texers is, generally speaking, do you think Ohio State has had a problem winning big games in the four years under Ryan Day? It's just yes or no, Nathan. What percent of the Texters do you think said yes there's a big game problem under Ryan Day. I think a majority said yes. I'll say 57%. Steven, what percent said yes? 68. Again, I love it when it's right in the middle. It's literally right in the middle. 63. So two-thirds of the texters say there has been a big game problem under, under Ryan Day. And I will just say, for my definition – and it's, it's not perfect. And it's, I looked at a million different things across a million different coaches. I did come up with top 10 games. So just to lay this down, Ryan Day is 15 and six against ranked teams. He is six and five against top 10 teams. He is four and five. No, excuse me. He is two and five against what I would call major top 10 teams. And part of the issue is like, if you played Indiana, right, and Indiana was ranked number nine, that's one of their wins. It's like, well, that's yeah. – I mean, I get that maybe Indi- – but that's not the same thing as playing Georgia and Alabama and Clemson and Michigan. So major top ten. Now, Oregon was not ranked in the top ten. And also, by the way, like it's like, is Oregon a big game loss or is Oregon closer to an upset? Like, they even had their best player. Mm-hmm. And their quarterback was like this Temple guy. It's like, is that – is that like, wow, they failed in the national spotlight? Or is the Oregon loss actually closer to the Purdue-Iowa loss? I think it's probably in between Purdue-Iowa and Bama-Georgia, right? 
Ryan Day is two and five in the major top 10 games. So the wins are, I think there's a Penn State. No, there's a Michigan State win in there. It's the Michigan State win when C.J. Stroud threw six touchdown passes in the first half. And there's a Clemson semifinal win. And then the losses are the two Michigan losses, the Clemson semifinal loss in 19, the Alabama loss in the national championship game in 2020, and the Georgia loss last year. So that's five. It's like you get to five real quick. But there's also a part of you can be like, all right, well, I don't know. Clemson, Alabama, and the national title game. Two Michigan teams that both made the playoff and the national champ. All five of those teams are playoff teams, right? But also, it is a lot of losses. So two-thirds of the people, Nathan, think Ohio State has a big game problem. Nathan, do you think it? I think it's definitely a fair question to ask because even when you take those five games – and I was kind of parsing it this way. Is, do you, even if you feel that there's a difference between losing and getting beat, you know, you lose the Georgia game last year by one point. You lose to Clemson in 2019 because things got weird. You throw the pick at the end in the end zone when you have a chance. Like, you're right there on the cusp. You could have won both of those games. But then that means there's still three games out of those five that you had no chance of, of winning. And or you, not that you had no chance of winning, but that you weren't really that close to winning. Certainly the Alabama game. And then even the last two, Michigan had pulled away and, and won those more convincingly. So I think it's easy to look at maybe the Georgia Clemson game um, and say, hey, it's the playoff. You're playing the best teams in the country. It's a zero sum proposition. Can't win all those. But the fact that now that there's three in that other category, um, it's still a small sample size relative and the fact that he has six losses and they're all to ranked teams and five of them are top five is that what you said yeah yeah so i mean that says something i think i think fans would be more concerned if they were losing to the unranked teams um especially if they were losing to them in addition uh but 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 i got actually actually would they like i i don't know actually because like is it a fluke or is it a trend like what would you be more worried about well, but I'm saying, but you have to remember there are there are examples there where they lost games to top five teams that they would not have played if they had lost to an unranked team in the regular season, and we have evidence of that in past Ohio State seasons. Those are the losses that keep you out of the playoffs. You don't even lose to Clemson in 2019. You don't lose to Georgia last year. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that it's a fair question to ask. I think it's definitely. I don't know that I would say that Ryan Day has a big game problem, but I would say he needs a big game answer and that it needs to come this season because it's, I mean, Michigan's going to be a big game. And then what do you do off of that? Assuming you win that. I think it's a, I think it's bad. I don't think it's as bad as you can sometimes convince yourself it is. It's almost like, you know, the first couple of days of having a common cold and you're laying around and being all extra dramatic because you can only breathe out of one nostril and you think the world is coming to an end. And this is, you know, this is how it ends for me in bed week like this. And then, like, you get to the end of it, it's like, all right, relax. You're sick, but you'll be okay. It's a common cold to be all right. I think it's like that because I'll throw the – for me, when I was defining big game, I would throw pretty much any non-conference game unless we get to the actual year it gets played and that team has, like, fallen off a cliff, like 
TCU, I don't know if that game ended up being what you probably thought it was going to be when it first got scheduled. But for the most part, like even the Oregon game last year in 2021, I thought I would classify that as a pretty big game because we were all looking forward to it. Penn State game, any team, anytime a team plays you that tough for that many years in a row, I qualify a Penn State game as a big game. Then obviously Michigan and then any playoff game is a big game. For me, I think it's a problem because it doesn't feel as if there's as much versatility and who he's beating in these big games. Like, he hasn't lost to Penn State yet, but he's lost to Michigan twice. The playoff games are – I mean, that is what it is, but you've lost more of those games than you've won at this point and what in the small sample size you have. And then in the non-conference, Ohio State has just had a history of losing non-conference games at home. That's not a day problem. That was just like something that – Urban Meyer struggled with that. Oklahoma came in here and Baker Mayfield planted a flag. So this is an issue that surpasses just him. So I think more about those games of losing non-conference games at homes, like which is why Notre Dame was such a big deal that they finally got over the top, even if it was ugly. But for me, it's always been about, okay, you've proven you can beat Penn State, but can you start you know, beating some of these other teams in these big games that you do play? So you said top five, top 10. I'll extend it out to top 15 games. So I have to even reset myself. I have I have so many pieces of yellow legal pad paper where I wrote a million different things down. Let's reset. Ryan Day, ranked games, 15 and 6. Top 10 games, 6 and 5. Major top 10 games, 4 and 5. And in that, I am taking out beating number 9 Indiana in 2020. And I actually am taking out the Michigan State game against number seven, Michigan, in 2021. So the four wins there are the 2019 Penn State game when Penn State was eight. The 2019 Big Ten Championship game when Wisconsin was eight. The Clemson game in 2020 when Clemson was two. And the Notre Dame game in 2022 when Notre Dame was five. Those are the four wins. I don't I don't want to bog us down on this, but I think you could include 2019 Michigan there too. Because it's it's the Michigan game and it's his first Michigan game. And if you saw him yeah. after that game, you could tell what it meant yes. to him to have won that mm-hmm. game. That's fair. They were thirteenth, right? So we like you kinda do you draw lines or do you let it all be sort of the vibe you feel? If you're trying to compare across eras and across teams, you've got to draw some lines. And I have some comparisons here. So that but I don't disagree with that. And yeah, then and top think- five, top five games is where he's two and five. So major yeah. top 10, four and five, top five, two and five. Go ahead, Nathan. I was just going to say, just to finish that thought, I, I don't think I would draw any line for the Michigan game because if, if <laughs> I mean, look, listen to how much consternation there is right now about having lost to Michigan when it's one of the best teams in the country. If you lose to them in a, a year where they're not one of the best yeah, teams see- in the country. But but I disagree with that because yeah, it's no. much easier to beat Michigan when they suck. Like I don't want to give Tressel yeah. ten wins or he's not yeah, in one against okay, Michigan. I don't want to say every yeah. is the same I way when still, he's beaten Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez. I, I I would still say that 2019 one I would put it on the list just because he was continuing the winning streak at that point. There was a lot of pressure yeah. on on him to keep that going. Yeah, I would say good Michigan team. So that's why that's that's part of the reason I said top fifteen because I think top fifteen is a decent Michigan enough team, a decent enough Michigan team to make that a big game because then you can honestly feel like Michigan might win the game. But we don't so want to bog it, down. It really, it it really yeah. isn't about where the line is drawn. It's that you have to draw the line consistently. 
So again, yeah. like I love yeah. what this texture has led us into. You can't count the Oregon loss and not count the Notre Dame win. Like you can't. Mm-hmm. It's just nonsensical. And so, but I also like wherever you draw the line, it's like a good Michigan team. What does that mean? Is it top five? Is it top 10? Is it top 15? Just wherever you draw the line, make sure you're consistent. So everybody can decide on their own big game things. And again, like big game to me, Steven, I'm basically with you. I was like, it's not every non-conference game though, because they played Miami, Correct. Florida in a non-conference game when Miami wasn't good anymore. They played Washington. That's mm-hmm. not the same thing. But like, I was going like, okay, I think Michigan when they're good, Penn State when they're good. Bama, Georgia, Clemson, if they ever played Florida State now, Notre Dame, USC, Oregon, Texas, Texas. Oklahoma. Like, I think, like, that's, you know, when they played TCU in 2018, I know TCU just made the national title game, but I don't know. TCU on a neutral site. Like, I don't want to discount it. By the way, Ryan Day was a head coach in that game. I don't want to discount it, but it's also not exactly the same as playing Georgia, Alabama, or a really good Michigan team. So anyway... My only advice would be, however you view it, be consistent with it. But the bottom line is, they've lost more than they've won in those games. And, like, is there something to find there? So then I asked, like, going forward, Stephen, okay, we know what happened. How do you feel about it now? However you define it, are you worried that winning big games will be a problem for the Buckeyes for the next few years? I said, here are the choices. Yes, very worried. I think they are lacking something in big games. Yes, a little worried. No, not that worried. I think they'll be fine. Or no, not at all worried. I'm sure they'll win a lot of big games going forward. Steven, what do you think won? Yes, very worried. Yes, a little worried. No, not that worried. No, not worried at all. I think a little worried probably won right now. But I do think that if we did this exact same pod a year from now, this has a chance to go way up to not worried at all just because of what the schedule is this year or drop down to the most dramatic answer. Because they're going to play – Notre Dame on the road. They're going to play Wisconsin on the road. Yep. Penn State's probably going to be pretty good. They're going to get Michigan and Ann Arbor. And exactly. then if they get into a Big Ten championship game or a playoff. So you think, yes, a little worried, Stephen. Nathan, what do you think? I think it's not that worried, only because we're coming on. The most recent example is I know it was a big game that they didn't win. But it was a one-point loss to a, the repeat national champion in a game. And it goes back to something you said the other day, Doug, which is the difference between um, aren't winning the game or can't win the game. And I think Ohio State showed that day that it can win. It could beat Georgia. It just didn't beat Georgia that day. So because of that, right now, that might push the needle into not that worried. But I, I agree with Steven that I think if you run the table this year – or if you beat Michigan and, and get into the playoff, win a Big Ten championship again, I think it pushes away from the concern. I think if you lose to Michigan again, and especially if you also don't make the playoff, then it starts to really become an issue. So Stephen was right. Yes, a little worried, one. No, not that worried, was second. So the two middle answers take up 80%. So it's yes, a little worried, 49%. No, not that worried, 31%. Yes, very worried, 16%. No, not at all worried, 4%. So on the edges, the more pessimistic edge is four times as much as the more optimistic edge. 
And then again, overall, the yes worrieds got 65% and the no not worrieds got 35%. So that's more worried than not. I think it's not unreasonable to be a little worried. Now, we're going to get into like what it takes to win big games. And I do think the search for this is, is it bad luck? Is there something that's lacking? Like which, what it's, you know, which is closer to the truth? And we're going to try to find that next on Buckeye Talk. So we do have some very good texture responses that we'll get into a little bit later. I asked the texters, Nathan, to rank these four things. And, and I'll give you the four categories first. And then you can tell me what did I leave out as options. Rank these things in order of what you think matters the most for Ohio State winning big games. These are what I what I listed. Smart, aggressive, sometimes surprising play calling, right? So it's all right. We got coaches. We got a plan. How good's your plan? Great fundamentals and not making mistakes. So don't blow it. Don't hand it to the other guys, right? Having enough elite talent. Like, are your players good enough to win these games? And intense motivation and killer instinct. That's more intangibles, right? Everybody's good, but do you are you going to go take care of business? Those are the four categories, Nathan, that I set up. But I think, shorthand, that's what factors in the big games. Is there something that I should have included that I didn't? Um, no, I think those are those encapsulate everything because they're they're broad enough to catch a lot of things. Okay, Stephen, you agree? Like, does that generally? Yeah. Is there anything you say? Oh, well, what about this? Okay, nah, I think we can capture everything under those stuff. I mean, you capture you capture coaching here in various ways. Um, I don't think you need to like specify quarterback separately from just saying elite talent. So I think you got it. Not everything. with this. Yeah, not not with this. Okay. I don't know. If quarterback needs to be at something. All right, for Ohio State, then talent, fundamentals don't make mistakes, motivation and killer instinct, and good play calling. Steven, what do you think? I asked people to rank. What do you think got ranked the highest? Talent, good play calling, motivation, killer instinct, and fundamentals don't make mistakes. <laughs> well, coming off of the Georgia game, I, I'm going to relate to you. Fundamentals don't make mistakes. Because if it's a big game, everything else might just be equated already. Nathan, what do you think the Texas ranked the highest? I think it's elite talent. Like whether if you can't get out there and I, again, that came into play in the Georgia game who had more elite talent on the field at the end of the game, who had more of their elite talent available for them when in the deciding stretch of that game. And this is hard because it's like, well, what game are you talking about? Well, we're talking about the Michigan game where they gave up all the big plays. Are we talking about the Georgia game where it felt like talent? Are we talking the Oregon game where it felt like the defensive scheme was allowing Joe Moorhead to rip them apart? It's like, well, what? Well, yeah, right. Exactly. Because it all matters to varying degrees in different games. But like what really matters the most? The Texer said talent. Having enough elite talent, but it didn't win by much. It's actually pretty lumped together, all four of them. So then with all four categories, I said, okay. Do they have enough? So I asked, has Ohio State had elite talent in big games the last four years? Yes or no, Stephen? What What do you think won? Is that yes talent or no talent? No. Nathan, what do you think won? Have they had enough talent for big games? <laughs> Again, it depends on the game. I, I would still say yes. 
No, hold on. I think, no, no, I don't agree. I don't think it depends on the game. I think the no, the reason for the no depends on the game because the context behind it of like could be the difference between we didn't have enough talent because they kicked our player out the game for targeting versus we didn't have enough talent because everybody was on the sideline hurt versus we just like <laughs> weren't good enough because our defense is not very good. Well, but I think that's yeah, it's hard like, because there's been enough circumstances here where you can you can point at the targeting, you can point at the COVID stuff against Alabama, you can point yeah. at you know the the guys who were out at the end of the Georgia game, as you said, Nathan. There have for a bunch of these losses, and listen, injuries and ejections are all part of the game. James Skalski got ejected from the 2020 Ohio State Clemson game, and that hurt Clemson. But I think generally people took it more as like, is the roster good enough, Nathan? When people mm-hmm. answered this. Well, but I mean, like 29, yeah, yeah, exactly. And because like 2019 Clemson, like where would Sean Wade have ranked on the list of elite talent for Ohio State in that game? Like, was he in the top 10? He was very, very good. I've talked a lot about how good he was that year, but Justin Fields, Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, you know what I mean? So uh, they still had their most elite players in that game. They COVID did hurt them in 2020, but they had their most elite players for most of that run as well. Um and last year, they had the elite talent at the start of the game. So they showed up for that game with the elite talent. So I, I really don't think, again, when you start to compare this, especially to the rest of college football, like you wouldn't even be in the playoff for those games if you didn't have elite talent. Well, but it's once you get into it. Because I would say, if I asked this question about Ohio State football in 2007 and 2008, I think people might have said no. Because it's like, well, what do you mean elite talent? It's like elite talent like compared to Minnesota or elite talent compared to LSU and USC because in big games, I don't know if Ohio state does have enough elite talent, right? But in this circumstance, overwhelming, yes, 90%, 90% of the people said, yes, they have enough elite talent. So as much as we talk about recruiting, as much as we say, hey, maybe they're a little top heavy on receivers and quarterbacks. Hey, we did a dudes podcast about the defense. Do they have enough game changers on that side of the ball? 90% of the people think the players are good enough, Nathan. But like, that's not where you start. We aren't bemoaning, oh man, well, if the linebackers play better, or if the offensive line played better, or if the t-. that's not where they go. They think the players are good enough. That generally a correct vibe do you think and listen it's hard when you're talking about the sec and you're talking about the georgia machine and you're talking about saban to be like oh yeah no 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 we got enough talent for that but you know i I also i think i think i think i would vote yes on this on a hard yes no i think i vote yes because give me those receivers and give me paris johnson and you know give me denzel burke when he's feeling good and like let's do this thing nathan I mean, you just you just went from a year where you had a two-time Heisman Trophy finalist who was one of your three first-round draft picks, and you're going into another year where we're arguing over whether are they going to have three, four, five first-round picks. You can't judge, I think, elite talent by those fluke years where Georgia or Alabama will have like six first-rounders or whatever. And you know what I mean. And but we're kind of looking at a season where going into a season where Ohio State could have a you know. On the, on the outliers of its opportunities could have a season like that. It's certainly the depth of total picks that it's going to have. So if you're putting that many guys in, and I know that's we can also have an argument about how well, they've only had six each of last year's, only two run defense. So you can have an argument about whether you have the right balance of elite players, but Ohio State's still recruiting and developing and sending elite players to the NFL. 
Yeah, yeah, that's where I was coming from. The, the the balance of it, it felt very. It's. I mean, we did it. I wrote it. We have a. We've had pods about it. It's. It's so quarterback receiver heavy that it felt like the talent was lacking in other places where you needed it to not to be lacking, whether it was defensive end, whether it was cornerback, whether it's the offensive line in this season. While because we're doing a big game podcast, we're talking about that caliber of team. We are talking about the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world and the USC. We're talking about those teams, and they don't have that issue of, well, all the talent's in two rooms. No, their talent is everywhere. Ohio State took – because of some situation. Ohio State took the field for its most important possessions in that Georgia game where it had the best receiver in the country who had already missed the whole year sitting on the sideline. No, we know. We know. Like, I, we've, we've stated all that a bunch of times. That's hard. I agree with you, Stephen, but it's also hard to express that. of like, well, they have it, but it's hurt. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's, I think, I think when fans think about a question like this, it's more about like, are, are they recruiting at a high enough level? Yes. So you, you can't ignore the injuries. You can't. And we've all said that we think they win that game if they're healthier at the end. But I think that answer probably leads us to, no, we think they had enough guys. They just were in a medical tent or in the hospital or home with a, their foot in a brace. Right. Cause you could, if you start right there, Stephen, if you start with, nope, not enough talent, it's hard to go anywhere else. It Fair. almost ends the discussion, which, again, I think a lot of a lot of Ohio State fans would agree. A little bit, the rise, you know, that 2008 Ohio State recruiting class that was so, so many five stars, Terrell Pryor and Mike Adams and J.B. Shugarts and Mike Brewster and Devere Posey and all these guys is fueled by feeling like in the 06 and 07 title games, at the highest level, you're a little short. Listen, man, James Ornitis is great, and Malcolm Jenkins is great, and Troy Smith is great, but you get there and you just feel a little short. And if that's where it's – it almost can end the discussion, Stephen. Fair. Do you have enough talent in big games? No. Thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk. But this is a resounding yes. Yeah, that's probably a fair point. There's a difference between, like, not having enough talent because of something that you can't control – Versus some not having enough talent because of like your own shortcomings and you're not getting the job done. From that standpoint, I agree. Yes, they overwhelmingly they have enough talent. I think I was so baked into the fact of like the issue they had this year has popped up so many other times since like I've been covering this team. Like even back to 2018, it's like how di- the defense wasn't very good, but how much of those problems get solved by Nick Bosa is just living in the backfield and breaking records. For fifteen for fifteen weeks, does that change some things? Because it's been so baked into the the identity of Ohio State football and being like we were there, we got there, we just didn't got get there with everything we have to offer. That I think I leaned too far. No, in a way that I maybe shouldn't have. I also think you could look at the defense the past couple of years that we've done on the podcast and be like, no, yeah. <laughs> show me right. Malik Hooker, show me Marshawn Lattimore, show me Chase Young. Mm-hmm. Like I do think they're right, Nathan. There's a talent discussion yeah. on the defensive side of the ball to be had. Oh, certainly. I don't even think you need to talk about I mean, at some positions. You don't have to go that high in your comparisons, right? Like where's, where's Malik Harrison? Where's Pete Werner? Like, you know, the, that doesn't count the last year. Last year, the, the linebacker play was a lot better, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't have to be first round guys who went on to be pro bowlers. They, they, the gap has been that big at some positions. All right. So second on the list and again, in the ranking order. So you rank one, two, three, four. Elite talent got a 2.2 in the weighted rank. Not far behind it 
at 2.36 was great fundamentals and not making mistakes. So I asked, has Ohio State had great fundamentals and not made mistakes in big games the last four years? Nathan, do you think yes or no won that question? So much of that depends on because the one thing I guess you could have put on here was just luck, but that's a harder thing to to have people like rank, I suppose. But it's like, was Sean Wade getting ejected bad luck or was it bad fundamentals? I would argue it's bad fundamentals. That's why people don't like me very much, but I would still argue it. You know, um, was 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 uh, uh, but like Lathan Ransom, it's the one thing that like stands out late in that game. Was that bad fundamentals or bad luck? So I, I think right now I might lean – God, it's tough because, like, other than the Alabama game, there hasn't been a game where they were just really kind of blown off the field. But I think I would probably say that the trend right now would be no. It depends on what, what you call think, a mistake. I think, I think this one is hard. I think it's no, but when you say fundamentals, you're talking about – a player not doing something they're capable of doing or they just were taught it wrong. That's not about like Lathan Ransom falling down is probably a little bit fundamentals, but it's also like Lathan Ransom probably just shouldn't be covering a wide receiver as a safety. You know, that's, I mean, teams put safeties on wide receivers for a reason because it's a mismatch. Well, so it's like, is that fundamentals or is that George, is that Todd Munkin great scheming? You got a wide receiver on a safety, and that's what you got. So it's it's a little bit – because it's not like um, Marvin Harrison Jr. forgot how to run routes, you know? That's, yeah. So it's I, I, I think it's no, but I think it's a very close vote between the two because you have to bite that in. It's a, Okay, did the player not do it because he just didn't do it what he was taught or was he taught it wrong versus did the player not do it because he's genuinely not capable of doing it, i.e. tough – tough moral and ending up on Devontae Smith. Like that was never, I don't care if he had the best fundamentals in the world. Devontae Smith was going to score a touchdown there. To me, this really affects the Michigan outcomes more the last two years. Does, does, does great fundamentals show up in why Aiden Hutchinson, as great as he was, lived in the backfield that day? Does Possibly. bad fundamentals show up in the first drive of that second half where they go three and out with the three runs of Trevor Henderson, they can't get the two yards and the game shifts like great fundamental. Is that great fundamentals not being present? And I could see why someone would vote. Yes. So no hesitation here by the texters either. No, 92%. Okay. No, they do not have fundamentals. And I think this is driven by the Michigan game last year with the blown coverages, which is like obvious. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the Oregon loss, which with the repeated mistakes on the edge that Joe Moore had attacked. So I think those are very two clear examples where it feels like what happened in that game? Was it that Oregon and Michigan were so good there wasn't anything Ohio State could do? Those two games particularly feel like, no, Ohio State screwed it up. And then I even think the Clemson loss in 19, Ohio State's ahead in that game, right? Like J.K. Dobbins is a great player, right? He doesn't catch the pass in the red zone. And then like they let Trevor Lawrence run on him. When it's like, wow, that guy. So, like, I do think there's enough of the examples in the big games. And I didn't ask this question specifically. Did you feel more like Ohio State got beat or Ohio State lost it? Which I think, Nathan, you said that earlier. Is like, what? I think there's a decent number of examples here, Stephen, where Ohio State fans would feel like Ohio State lost it. That I think you'd feel like that in the 19 Clemson game. For sure, you'd feel like that in the Oregon game. For sure, you'd feel like that in the Michigan game last year. 
And I think you could make a case for it in the Georgia game, even if it, with all the things you would say, all the injuries that you would acknowledge, all the greatness of Georgia that you would acknowledge. It was also there for the taking, and they didn't take it. And then if they make a field goal at the end, if they make one more play here or there, if they stop Stetson Bennett on that last drive, right? There's a decent number of examples here, Stephen, where it feels more like a loss than, hey, the other team just beat us. Fundamentals impacts execution. Talent impacts productivity, I think is a good way to put it. Because fundamentals and lack of execution is why when they tried to execute a fake punt, they didn't do it right. Or when they also tried to do it against Georgia, well, Georgia's going to call a timeout, but there's a play against Georgia where they bring Mitch Rossi in motion, but he doesn't get set the way he's supposed to get, get set. He's trying to build momentum, and now it's a penalty instead of C.J. Stroud having a QB keeper that gets a first down and a very final point of that game. That is fundamentals. The Georgia game, the blown coverages, that's for fundamentals. Now, the, the play that made – Cameron Martinez looks silly. That's that's a talent thing. That dude was already in a bad spot as a guy trying to learn how to play defensive back. Plus, he'd been hurt all year. That's a talent thing. But a lot of that game was execution. That's fundamental. So I can see how fans get there because it does feel like if you don't have good fundamentals, that's you costing yourself a win versus if you don't have good talent, that's just another team being better than you. What are you going to do about it? I think that's what drives two-thirds of the people, Nathan, feeling like maybe Ohio State has a big game problem. That I, I, I do feel like – I don't think it's wrong for Ohio State fans to feel like they've lost these games more than they've just been beat. You look at the Bama National Championship game, and I'm, I'm not sure what you're supposed to do there, right? right. I mean, it, it's Bama, and we talked about it on the podcast on the Retalkables on Friday, a little bit about that Bama game. Yeah, Ohio State was missing some guys, and the Trey Sermon injury really hurts, but man, like it's – it's monster angry Bama right there. And even I think, you know, in Ann Arbor in 21, it just felt like, holy moly, like Michigan's geared up for this. But the, I, like almost everything else, Nathan, is it feels a little bit more like Ohio State kind of screwed that up. Now, everybody screws stuff up sometimes. So it can't be the standard can't be like you're never allowed to mess up in a big game. But I, I understand why fans would feel that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to like like twenty twenty uh, Sugar Bowl against Clemson is a good example. It's not like Clemson came out and played a perfect game that as well as it could possibly play, and Ohio State still won by four touchdowns or whatever. Like that didn't happen. Clemson didn't play that well that game, and Ohio State took advantage of it. And what I think is irking a lot of Ohio State fans right now is being too often on the other side of it, being in a situation where, yes, you can you can you can objectively say, okay, yeah, we just didn't play our best that game, but when do you, because Clemson fans would certainly say that about the, that 2020 game, but they had a couple of national championships in the immediate rear view that maybe helped them feel a little bit better about that. And I think for Ohio State fans, uh, it's not that they can't accept any letdown slash setback slash disappointment. It's just you're getting farther and farther and farther away from the time where you were the one that capitalized in the most major way on the other teams not having it that day. We have something coming that I think is the hidden secret. Maybe it's not a secret about why Ohio State fans two-thirds think Ohio State has a big game problem. I think there's there's one big thing we're going to point to in a second. But for now, we're going to keep going through our list. The votes keep rolling in, so the numbers change slightly. Having enough elite talent, 2.18. Great fundamentals and not making mistakes, 2.38. Third, smart, aggressive, sometimes surprising play calling. That they need that third, 2.66. This, I think, I mean, there, again, there's multiple things to this, but we just watched that Clemson game on the Friday podcast, and it felt like Ryan Day got after it, right? They got after him, deep shots, right? 
And then defensively, like Jim Knowles came in here to make two million bucks. And again, when we're talking about the Oregon game, we're talking about the Michigan game, both in 21, those feel like, well, I don't know about the defensive play calling in either of those games. And then Jim Knowles seemed like he called 11 pretty decent games last year. And then I thought in the Michigan game, he was a little bit too aggressive and it cost him. And I think he pulled back a little bit in the Georgia game and it was better. This is a chance for people to say, though, like I have real questions about the coaches, right? This play calling question really is a coach question. Has Ohio State had smart, aggressive, sometimes surprising play calling in big games the last four years? This one's tough. I won't make you guys guess. It's 54% yes, 46% no. And I will say, Nathan, I thought maybe there was an opportunity to fans for fans to be a little more disappointed in the play calling in some of these games. The fact that yes won, I think, is actually like like a good sign. Because again, there have been mo- there have been times when you actually absolutely would say great. And I think there would be times when you would say, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, again, you're coming off of a game where you just scored 41 points. So it's hard to kind of say you need to be more aggressive offensively. We can parse that, I suppose. They they had points that they left on the field in that game. But you know what I'm saying there. And then on defense, I think what maybe is catching people up, like how how aggressive do you want them to be? Like aggressive slash smart is a tricky standard because there were a couple of times this year where Jim Knowles called something aggressive and it didn't look smart because a player didn't finish the play. And so they're still trying to find the balance, I think, between I almost I still am maybe on the side of like, if that's your identity and that's who you are as Jim Knowles, then Ohio State can recruit the best talent in the country. And then you've just got to coach them up to, to live up to your aggressive standard. That should still work in my brain. Uh, in the long term. So I think that's still being sort of processed as throughout the, throughout the fan base right now. Yeah. One year, Jim Knowles might not be the best, biggest sample size yet to let us know about that. We'll I think we'll see more how he maybe, um, you know, adapts to some of that stuff or doesn't adapt. Maybe, maybe he just, you know, doubles down on some of that stuff. I think this is solely a Ryan day question. And I think it's solely a Ryan day versus Michigan question because Ryan, we just did a whole pod on the Clemson game, and now it felt like Ryan Day was in his bag. Ryan Day was in his bag in the 2019 game. Ryan Day has been – he was in his bag against Georgia. It was just kudos to Georgia. Great game. You won. Ryan Day was in his bag as best as he could be even against Alabama. It's just you didn't have enough. So kudos to Bama. He has been in his bag against every team that he has coached against for some reason except Michigan. Because even if you go back to 2019, it wasn't like the most crazy game plan. It was just, here, J.K., go. And J.K. just went until he couldn't go no more. And then it was, hey, Justin, now it's your turn. And then Justin came out, and he went, and they won the game. For some reason, it feels like Ryan Day is overthinking the Michigan game. And for the last two years, that overthinking has cost Ohio State. So maybe he just needs to – now, this, maybe it doesn't matter this year if Brian Hartley ends up actually being the play caller. But whoever the offensive play caller is against Michigan needs to stop overthinking it and get out of their own way. It is hard because C.J. Stroud threw for like 350 yards in both the Michigan losses. Yeah. So they didn't – it's not like they didn't throw it. But I think we can point to instances and we can point to Nathan Baird's three points in the second half last year. And it's like, well, yards are great. We can point to Kevin Wilson. Yards are great. Did you win? Did you win? Did you score enough? So 
I I think that's probably right. And I think it's a little bit tied to what finished last in this category, in this vote, which was intense motivation and killer instinct. But it was 2.77, so it was very close to the play calling. And so I asked this question. Has Ohio State possessed intense motivation and killer instinct in big games the last four years? Steven, what do you think won? Yes or no? Motivation and killer instinct. Maybe no, which is hard because I don't even know how you get that killer instinct thing to me is always weird because how are we really gauging that? Nathan, what do you think won? Uh, I think they would say no only because they think they're they think they are were certainly better than Michigan last year. They have questions about whether they should have also beat them in 2021. They they have lost games to teams that they think that they are just more talented than. So then what's the what's the deciding factor there? What's missing? This can be results-based. It's like if you lose, you don't have right. killer instinct and you weren't yeah, motivated. Right. And if you win, they you are motivated and you do have killer instinct. So, yeah. so like what what does that really mean? Is that actually why you lost? But this is overwhelming. 85% no. So it's overwhelming no on motivation and killer instinct and no on fundamentals overwhelming yes on talent and then pretty split on play calling. So now we're trying to find out well, why, why do fans think they're not doing it? It's mostly killer instinct motivation and making mistakes. And I think I agree with that. And I do think there is, I think the, the Clemson 19 game is tough because Clemson's really good in 19, right? And so is Ohio state and Ohio state comes out and plays much better in the first half and like, doesn't get it done. So that's a pretty good game for a first-year head coach and a first-year starting quarterback that weren't tested all that much during the regular season. And this is still sort of like the peak Clemson monster. And Trevor Lawrence won the national championship as a freshman in 2018. And like, what are we doing here? But they didn't put him away. They didn't. Like, they were ahead and they lost. And then I think, like, as much as I've talked about, I think last year against Michigan is an intangibles loss. And then for all the things that we noted in the Georgia game, they were ahead and they lost. And this will lead us into the thing that I think is is the secret part of this discussion. I think I agree with the no here. And I think I agree with the 85% no. But I don't know that I think it's impossible for them to be better at that. I do think Steven, and you said it about the play calling. I think they're, I think last year against Michigan, they were a little in their own heads. And, and if that's the thing that's driving this, okay, I don't think it's over. I don't think it means they can't get it back, but I do think there's an intangible thing there that they're not quite hitting on to play their toughest, you know, rivalry-ist, let's go to the mat kind of game. But I actually do think they kind of did that against Georgia. I thought they were ready to go against Georgia. And again, that's why these two are kind of linked, because I think the killer instinct motivation, sometimes the play calling can lead that or can give players confidence or give a team confidence, like we're going for the kill here. Or I think if a coach feels that his team is like, let's go, maybe he'll be more aggressive. So I, I think they are linked, Steven, and I think it's okay that fans think it's been lacking. I wonder if Ryan Day's anxiousness when it comes to the Michigan game is actually not a good thing, even if it – because he was. He was very on his toes in 2019 before that game, and you could see, like, the stress leaving his body when they won that game because he knows how important that is as an outsider. 
And I wonder if that continues to stick with him. And he still has that anxiousness and that kind of like over, he's overstressed about it during that week in a way that has led to the last two results of like overthinking it because he's too far into his own head about it. And maybe that's part of the issue is he just needs to relax a little bit. When he, I'm not saying relax and like don't take it seriously, but relax and just like do what you've been doing because when you are relaxed and pretty confident, we get games like the Georgia game and we get games like the Clemson game and, you know, the Penn State games where it doesn't – I've never felt like in any of the other games he's coached, you could feel the stress coming off of him when we would talk to him on Tuesdays. And that's the only week where that was the case. And I never – I only got Urban Meyer once as a cover guy, but you can go back and, like, look at all those press conferences. It never felt like Urban Meyer was, like, stressed. It felt like he was an intense human being. But stressed and intense are not the same thing. And that may be – that's killer instinct a little bit, right? How do you approach it? How is it, like, impacting you leading up to it when you're trying to brace for it and all that stuff? And so if you want to say that's where the killer instinct is lacking – I agree with that one. I, I more push back on the idea of the killer instinct where it feels like you, people use it as a way to say somebody's not as competitive as they need to be. And I wouldn't say that Ryan Day isn't ultra competitive. I've actually seen that guy in off seasons be like super competitive about stuff that you probably shouldn't be overly competitive about. But the overthinking the Michigan game aspect, that can chop at somebody's killer instinct because instead of thinking about killing, you're thinking about not getting killed, which typically gets you killed. Fuck, I talk. <laughs> I, I thought his remarks coming out of the Michigan game this year, or maybe more to the point going into the Georgia game, where he was talking about we're not going to um, play tight, we're going to play loose. We're going. I thought, as we said at the time, I thought those were was a message to himself as much as it was a message to anyone that could have possibly heard that. And but I think I agree with Stephen that that was great for that circumstance because you kind of had nothing to lose. You weren't even supposed to be in the playoff. You backed in. Uh, the the testament will be how loose do they play going into that Michigan game next year, this year, this fall. Did that potentially crack a code? It's like, hey, coach, Possibly. how should we feel? But Remember how you felt going into Georgia? Feel like that. That's how you should feel for every big game. For Michigan, yeah, it's our rival. It's the most important game. But we're going to go in and swing, Nathan, and we're going to let it rip. Do you think that's possible? Or is it just different? Because it's Michigan and it's outdoors and it's not Georgia indoors. It's different. And it's different more because it's Michigan than because it's Georgia outdoors. Um, Now, I I disagree with you and some of the conversation we've had before about because I think we get it's it it starts to fold in on itself a little bit like, oh, do they need to do a bunch of new special things to address that game specifically? Or are they? too much in their heads already about that game specifically. And that's a hard thing for me to unfold right now. But I think that in terms of Ryan Day's headspace, I think Steven might be on to something that and, and that people pick up on those vibes from their leaders. Like, so I, I think that's what I'm maybe going to have an eye on more than I have in the past this year is what's Ryan Day's demeanor in the days leading up to that game. We don't know yet what the context is going to be for that game. We think as it stands right now, you're going to have an Ohio State game team with 10 or 11 wins going against a Michigan team with 10 or 11 wins, most likely. And so it's probably going to be one of the biggest games in the country again. A safe bet right now. But I, I think that I will be curious. Did he learn something from that? Because I almost wonder if they beat – it wouldn't have lined up this way. But if you beat Michigan and then you're playing Georgia the next game, 
is that where the tightness kicks in? I don't know. Did they learn something or was it just, again, because they had nothing to lose in a lot of ways in that Georgia game and everything to win. And that won't be the case when they play Michigan this year under any circumstances. It's going to be a weird thing trying to figure out a way to ask Ryan Day, hey, were you nervous before the Michigan games? Because if you just ask him that straight out, he's going to be like, what? No, wasn't nervous. But he might have been. I think – I don't think the, the – the, it's different from the social aspect of it and the rivalry and the lead-up and all that stuff that's happening. I think that's where it's different. But the 60 minutes on the field, when you're just talking X's and O's in football, I don't think that has to be different in rivalry games. Once you're – once the game – once the ball kicks off, now it's just football. For the people who are on the field, for everybody else, it's a million different things and it always will be. But once the ball kicks off, it's just football out there. I don't think that aspect of it has to change so much that it psychs you out the way that it feels like it psyched Ryan Day out really for three games, even if one of them still ended up in a win. Whatever happens, it's a discussion to me of do your players play their best and do you coach your best in the biggest games? Whatever you do for the day, the week, the morning, the year before that game, in that game, were you at your best or not? And I think we would all look, right? We would all look at the Michigan game in 2022 and be like, no, that was not Ohio State at its best. And then I think you'd look at the Georgia game and say, yeah, that was Ohio State at its best. And then all the other stuff happened. But like, whatever that difference is, yes, the rivalry is different. But as you noted, Nathan, like Ryan Day talked about it. Like he basically was saying before the Georgia game, let's not play like we did against Michigan and let's not coach like we did against Michigan. So then, okay, what can you do to get your players to play and you to coach like you did against Georgia when it's against Michigan in Ann Arbor? Like what can you do? And there are certain indoor, outdoor Big Ten, national, you know each other so well, you only scout each other for a month, whatever, all those things. But there is something inside of you. And that, if they cra- if they found something there, then okay. That, that would be something because, you know, once you have like this Clemson game, right, that we talked about. Clemson 2020, that's it. Do that. Bama, national title game. Hey, man, it's angry Bama and a bunch of guys have COVID. But then you get to 21 and it's like, oh, this Oregon loss. And then, oh, the Michigan loss. And then, oh, another Michigan loss. And they hadn't had that feeling for a while. I think maybe they lost what it felt like. What does it feel like to go into your game and be in a, in a place to play your best? And now they got it back again. They remember these guys on this team should remember it. So I, I think that can be really valuable. Okay. I have some comparisons to other Ohio State coaches and I have some comparisons to other teams. You may have to bear with me with my yellow legal pad because sometimes I can't read my own handwriting. So there might be like a lot of, um, and so then Clemson, oh, no, wait. Okay, well, but I'll try to limit it or cut it out and we'll do all that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, Steven, texters are involved here. We love when they are. This whole podcast, this whole idea stemmed from a texter. So like you're our producers. Thanks. Thanks to this texter who, who went to this work. If you want to do work for us, do our jobs for us. We don't have a producer. If you want to do that, please send a resume through the text service to <laughs> Buckeye, uh, 614-350-3315 if you want to sign up. I'm, I, I'm so grateful that uh, we got onto this topic. Because I do think, like, I don't want it to just be like, ah, oh, no, they just lost some games. What are you going to do? Which, which I think there's like a decent chunk of that to this. 
but we've got to discuss it all the way through. And maybe the conclusion is, hey, sometimes you lose to good teams, but they're not lacking anything. That might be the conclusion here, or not, might not. But I think we needed to talk about it. Here's the problem. Urban was a killer. Urban Meyer is a big game serial killer. And it is hard to follow that. And it's probably unrealistic. If you line up all the things that Urban Meyer does, big game killer is probably number one. He built a great structure of an organization, right? He motivated, but a lot of those things came to the forefront in big games. I'm double, like I double check myself. Look, guys, you guys can see it. Look at this. Can you see all the writing? That's real math going on on this podcast. By my count, top 10 games in their careers at Ohio State. Urban Meyer, 15 and 5 in top 10 games. That's a 75% winning percentage. Jim Tressel, 11 and 8. That's a 57.8 winning percentage. Ryan Day, 6 and 5, 54.5 winning percentage. Woody Hayes, 21, 21 and 4. 50%. Won half his games against top 10 opponents. Now, this can also get a little dicey because when you're doing it like this, it's like what your opponent is. You might be horrible. And then you lost to a top 10 opponent. It's like, well, did you lose a big game or did you just stink that year? So it's not infallible. John Cooper, 8-12-1 against top 10 opponents. 40.4%. And I didn't do Earl. That's no offense to Earl. But I wanted to have Coop as sort of like the day comparison that people use. And then I wanted to dig into Woody and see what Woody's all about there. Top five games. Opponent is a top five team. Urban Meyer, six and two, 75%. Woody Hayes, 13, 14, and three, 48.3%. But that's the second best. Jim Tressel, four and eight, 33.3. Ryan Day, two and five, 28.6. John Cooper, 3-8, So part of this, Stephen, is like just a reminder. If you think, oh, man, Ryan Day is only 2-5. and five. He's won 29% of his games against top five opponents. Like, well, Woody lost, lost more than half. And Tress only won a third, right? Like, I do think, Stephen, we need the context of, because I don't even know the answer to this question. It's part of the thing I want to, how often should you win big games? Mm-hmm. Is winning half good? Like, is that good enough? Or at a place like Ohio State, should you win two-thirds or three-quarters of them like Urban Meyer did? Like, what's the standard, Stephen? I think if you're flirting with 60%, that's pretty good, in my opinion. Because you are just – sometimes you're just going to lose the good teams. That's normal. What Urban Meyer was here was not normal. But as you just pointed out, he is not normal. He was a killer. But more importantly, he was a big game killer. He's not going fishing to get the small little fish. No, he's trying to get the big fish that you take a picture of standing next to and you hang it on the wall. He's trying to get the biggest deer at the park and hang that head on his wall. Now, the problem with that is when you are such a big game hunter like that, sometimes the small stuff can come up and get you. Purdue, Iowa. Michigan State team because you were overthinking it too much. Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship when you because you're so much like I gotta get that big fish that enough of a little small fish can come up and get you. While I think Jim Tressel got to a point where 
He was so good at the small stuff, you know, take your small, that he could never really capture the big fish again after he got it the first time. Woody's a whole different conversation. He was the coach for 30 million years, and that's it's going to go back and forth. Sometimes you're going to win, sometimes you're going to lose. Cooper, Earl Bruce had their own issues, but I think there is a level right under Urban Meyer that they can get to, and I think that's where Nick Saban sits, where, like, he's a killer. I'm going to go get that big fish, but I'm not going to be so obsessive over the big fish that when, like, it allows the littler fish to come up and bite them. Because Alabama, it's not the little fish that come up and bite them. It's just sometimes Texas A&M had a good game. Sometimes Auburn had a good game. These decent but not elite teams just have a really good game one day. I think that's where Brian Day should strive. I'm not saying he should try to go win six national titles. I'm saying that as far as his mindset, that's a good place to live where – you get to focus on being a killer without it being your end-all, be-all, and it's literally driving you crazy if you're not winning those games. Like, it, wait, let's just, like Urban Meyer 7-0 against Michigan, I think if he was 6-1 and one against Michigan, that one loss would still be eating at him right now. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sure that would be true. Um, Nathan, it is hard to figure out if someone is falling short of the big game standard, if you don't establish what the big game standard is. So I think that's an important part of this discussion. And like, where, what do you think a reasonable expectation is? It's why I think that the Ryan day, it's still a small sample size. You obviously you're talking about guys, um, although he's getting close to the urban tenure, obviously it's not too far off of that. Like he'll be going in, this will be his fifth season. Urban only coached a couple more seasons than that. So, but you're right about Urban being, um, you know, if you, to to say that Ryan Day will get to the end of his career and they'll say, boy, he wasn't quite at Urban Meyer's level. The guy who won three national championships, like he wasn't quite at that level. Well, so were like 99 point something percent of all the other college football coaches of all time. Like that's not really a, a disappointment. And I, I do think that it starts a conversation about, because and I know we've had these conversations before uh, on this pod, and maybe maybe even before I got here. But like, how much is the Urban Meyer era because of that record? Does that make certain aspects of the Urban Meyer era even more disappointing that you had those losses during the regular season that deprived you from even getting to face those big those big games? Right, because people would say that it was a disappointment that Urban only won one national title. And but here we are saying like, he's ridiculous in big games, major top 10 games, which again is very hard. What does that mean? I did my best urban 10 and five to 66 point, you know, two thirds winning percent Woody eight, eight and one. And for Woody, I basically made it Michigan games when Michigan was in the top 10 and Rose bowls when the opponent was in the top 10. Cause that felt like back then that's all that was. So like yeah. there's probably some like games against when Purdue was really good one year, Michigan state was really good one year. I didn't count that. It's just not quite the same as Michigan and Rose bowl. And then all this stuff, I didn't count any bowl games. If it was a bowl game where you didn't have a chance to win a national title because it's like, well, it's great, but it's still like the Utah bowl game. Utah's really good. Whatever, you know, coop playing Florida state or whatever. Like, okay, I don't know. Ryan day four and five. So 44.4%. John Cooper, 5-7-1, 42-point-3%, which is actually better than Tress. Tress is 5-8. And, and we covered this a bit on the old pod. 
there's this on the the one we did a couple uh, days ago. There's this comparison to when like Tress hit the dip in 06, 07, 08, and 09. He was three and six against top 10 teams those years. And that was, they beat Texas and they beat Michigan. So after the, in 06, and then starting with the Florida loss, they were one and six against top 10 teams for the next four years. Right. Which is like, and actually they were 0 and six for a stretch because the end of it's Oregon and the Rose Bowl between the, the Florida loss starts a stretch of six straight losses to top 10 teams. So that's Ryan Day's not at that point yet. Right. So all of this is to say, it's sort of what you guys have already mentioned. There's like, you can't match Urban as a big game killer. Like you, you almost can't. So I asked the question, rank these Ohio State coaches by who you would want coaching the Buckeyes the week of a big game against a tough major opponent. Urban, Trestle, Day, only three choices. Urban Meyer, 1.19. That's almost a unanimous number one. Jim Trestle, 2.39. Ryan Day, 2.41. So it's clearly Trestle, and then it's a coin flip on Tressler Day. Pretty equal. Then I also asked, rank these Ohio State coaches by who you would want coaching the Buckeyes every other week of the year against lesser opponents and generally running the program. Who do you think won that, Stephen? Day, Meyer, Trestle. Who won everything that's not a big game? Day, but I also wouldn't be shocked if they picked Urban Meyer anyway, but I'll pick Day. What do you say, Nathan? I think they picked day two because one guy didn't get NCA sanctions and um, or he didn't. One guy got NCA sanctions and one guy kind of just like Stephen was alluding before, uh, drove himself a little bit nuts and had to leave. Ryan Day, one point five seven, pretty overwhelming. Jim Tressel, two point one nine. Urban Meyer, two point two four. So pretty close for those. So you want Ryan Day. 48 weeks out of the year and you went Urban Meyer the other four, right? Brian Day on the streets, Urban Meyer in the sheets. Like this is what we're talking about. Mm. This is what people want. You can't have that. You can't have that. So we have to try to find a way to evaluate everybody while acknowledging their strengths and their weaknesses, which is what I always say often come from the same place. The same thing that made Urban Meyer beat Alabama and destroy Michigan. Also, I think, helped him lose to Purdue and lose to Iowa and lose to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game. The same thing that keeps Ryan Day on track, where they they do not lose those games. They come out and do their business. And I think everybody feels pretty good about being an Ohio State fan and being part of the program. That also might mean Michigan Week, you don't feel like you're living on a razor's edge and it might somehow decrease slightly your chances of winning. Nathan, I don't want that to be the conclusion because I think most people listening to this could have told us that in 10 seconds instead of an hour and 10 minutes at the start of this podcast. Oh, wait, Urban and Ryan Day are different. One's more high strung and maybe brings out, you know, the best in people in tough situations, but it is a little more difficult to deal with the other weeks out of the year. And the other guy's a little more, you know, even keeled and is the kind of guy you want running your program, but maybe in the big games that doesn't quite get you over the top. Well, it's a 40 second podcast, not a 80 minute podcast, but, but how then should we try to evaluate a big game situation within this context, Nathan? 
I, I mean, it, I wonder how much Ryan Day is having that same conversation with himself. Like, is, is he internalizing any of that and saying, you know, what is it that has allowed this program in so many of the other ways that Urban Meyer would have judged success, recruiting, sending guys to the NFL, winning all these regular season games? Um, how have all those stayed on that same standard and yet these other ones have slipped? And again, the Michigan games that Ryan Day has played are not equal to the Michigan games in, in their totality that Urban Meyer and Jim Tressel have played. That is a factor here. Again, that's where the small sample size can, can sort of throw things off a little bit. But I, I think that's where you start to see Ryan Day make some of the adjustments he's making as we speak, you know, potentially backing off and, and loosening the reins a little bit on things like play calling. Does that allow him to go be uh, a presence in the way that Urban Meyer was? And does that lead you to a different result in some of those games at the end of the year? Doug, was Urban Meyer ever calling plays during his time here? No. Okay. No. I think Ryan Day's got to figure out who he wants to be, who he's got, who he wants to be, but also who he has to be to get to tap into some level of what Urban was from an intensity standpoint, killer standpoint in those games. And maybe the play lock, lack of play calling helps that because because Urban Meyer wasn't play calling, he got to do what he was already he's already a killer and now that he's not play calling he gets to focus on that even more because he's not focused on okay it's our second drive it's second and seven what are we gonna what are the four options we have on the table and on Saturday so maybe some of that is how we have gotten to a point now where Ryan Day has thought about the, about play calling but I do think this this offseason is a Ryan Day asking himself what do I want to be but also what do I have to be to maximize us in those games, because clearly I don't have a problem winning the other nine games that don't, where we can just show up most of the time. You have to acknowledge what you do well and what you don't do as well. This is why I've said like I would bring in Urban Michigan Week and have him give speeches. I would bring in Tress Michigan Week. That if there's a part of hey, I I got this thing, but I'm just not as I'm not wired like that. I don't want to be fake about it. But Urban and Tress can come in and give speeches about when I was nine years old, I hated Michigan. Mm -hmm. Ryan Day didn't hate Michigan when he was nine years old. And it doesn't mean he can't be the head coach here. But if there's something, whatever it is, it might it might not even be that. Just I think you can lean on some stuff and you can you can try to get, you can accentuate, you know, whatever. So he's giving up a little bit of what he does best. And I would also add where maybe it's not what he does best. So, you know, Urban. You know, Urban was a really smart offensive guy. But by the time he got to this point in his career, he was like, I'm hiring Tom Herman. I'm not worried about that stuff. Urban is all motivation, all psychology all the time. Tom Herman calls the plays, man. And then, by the way, when Tom Herman left and they had Tim Beck and Ed Warner, they drove the offense off a cliff and they didn't repeat as national champions as a result. But if Urban Meyer had been calling the plays the whole time, if you're the play caller, your offensive coordinator can't leave. Maybe you win the national title in 2015. Or maybe you don't beat Bama in 2014 because Urban Meyer's a play caller and he's not a big game killer because he's not all focused on psychology and the motivation. Accentuate and then find help, right? Where you don't do it quite as well. Also understand the standard. Ranked games where the opponent is ranked in the four years of the Ryan Day era. Did the best I could. Georgia, 19-4. and four. Good luck comparing yourself to Georgia right now. 
82.6%. Bama, 18 and 5, 78.2%. Good luck trying to match the best coach in college football history. Third among the big time teams that I did, Ohio State, 15 and 6 at 71.4%. Fourth, Clemson is 10 and 5. 66.7, and Lincoln Riley as an entity unto himself, which is how you have to do it, 12 and 6, 66.7%. Utah, which by the way, Utah is like sneaky good on some stuff. I kind of, I didn't know what to call Utah's major top 10 games. I had them at 4-0 and because they beat USC twice last year and they beat Oregon twice the year before and they never played anybody else that was on that level. But also USC and Oregon aren't quite Michigan, Alabama, Georgia. But anyway, Utah ranked games seven and six, 53.8%. Michigan, and we have to remember, right? Michigan's got it rolling. In the Ryan Day era, Michigan, seven and nine against ranked teams. It's where they came from. They're better than that now. 43.8%. Penn State, which is honestly one of the 10 best programs in the country, six and 10 against ranked teams in the last four years, 37.5%. So let's just have some standards, have some context. Major top 10. I've tried to explain what I think that means. It's not when Indiana's ranked in the top 10. That's the best way that I can explain it. It might be anybody ranked in the top 10 except Indiana is my definition. It's not quite that, but you know what I'm talking about. Georgia, 9-4. and four. Utah, 4-0, four oh, as I said. Well, I don't know what to do with that. Bama, 6-4. and four. Michigan and Ohio State, both four and five. Clemson, two and four. Penn State is 0 and six in the last four years in those games. That's why Penn State's not Ohio State and Michigan. And keep this in mind because Shahan and I on the College Football Survivor Show just did our coach rankings. And every time you do coach rankings, you end up in a Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day conversation. Ryan Day is four and five in major top 10 games in the last four years. Lincoln Riley is one and one. So he's not getting a lot of wins, but he's also not getting losses hung around his neck because he's not playing the games, right? which is a little bit what you're talking about, Nathan. It's like, well, you earn the right to go lose to Georgia. You earn the right to blow a lead against Clemson in 2019. You earn the right for Nick Saban to take you out in the title game. And that's three losses. And all of a sudden it's like, oh man, I don't know if these guys could win big games. It's like, okay, would you rather Ryan Day be one and one? What would you rather be? One and one or four and five? I'd take more wins and more losses. I don't want to not be in the games. You want to be in the game. So it's it's a difficult discussion, Nathan. And I don't know that there's an answer. So let me do a couple text replies here first. But then we're, we're going to try to find an answer. Because that's what we do here. Whether there is one or not. <laughs> they have lost every big game except Clemson one time. If you include If you include a win at Penn State, fine. Ryan Day doesn't lose the games you shouldn't lose, Purdue, Iowa, like Urban did, but he hasn't made the team rise to the big stage the way Urban did. An Urban coach team with Day as offensive coordinator beats Michigan the last two years, no doubt in my mind. That's Terry in Toronto. Big difference between Day versus Meyer and Urban. is The thing that's different is that Day is learning on the job. Meyer got to learn how to win big games for that level at Bowling Green in Utah. Trestle got to learn at Youngstown State. Their success at lower-level programs led to big-time jobs. If Trestle and Meyer could win big games at the lower levels, they wouldn't have got – if they couldn't win big games at the lower levels, they wouldn't have gotten the big-time jobs. You have to win those games to get the chance. 
Day did get Ohio State because he he proved that he could win those games, but like he did it as offense coordinator. He's having to learn how it goes. Aggressiveness against Georgia instead of coaching in fear of making a mistake makes me think Day may be figuring it out. So Nathan, this is the idea. Maybe people, maybe a little code cracking, maybe a little internal gumption. Hey, remember how that felt before, the month before, the week before, the morning before, and during it. Remember that. With the killer instinct, they'd be four and three in top five games. They'd have put away Clemson in 19 and Georgia in 22 when they had them on the ropes, like they did with Clemson in 2020. That's from the 614. My view is that Ohio State feels very close to a breakthrough in big game success, but currently under Ryan Day, it appears that there is some level of issue there. For example, some big game play calling and schemes makes it feel like it was one of the keys to victory. Others feel a bit unprepared. Like that's what we're talking about. We're asking blanket questions. Sometimes it felt like the scheme helped them win. And sometimes it felt like the scheme helped them not win. I think that's a good point by the texter. We realize that. I think it's difficult to compare Trestle to Meyer and Day. Trestle's style of offense wouldn't work in today's game. I'm not sure that Jim Trestle even knows what tight ends are and that they are eligible to catch passes. Um, That's funny. I think overall Day has done well in big games. He's approximately 500 against top 10 teams, which is perfectly reasonable. His record against the top five could be better. But how different is this conversation if Noah Ruggles makes a field goal and the refs don't overturn an obvious fumble scoop and score against Clemson? Yes, I'm still mad about that. I'll always be mad about that. That Clemson game was four hours of Murphy's Law, and they still almost got it done. Those things are outside of his control. We should not fault him for those losses. If not for his bad luck in those two games, this entire conversation would be non-existent. I think he does have a Michigan problem. I agree with what you said on another pod that we lost to Michigan for football reasons in 21 and for intangibles in 22. Hopefully he's learned some hard lessons there. If the Georgia game is any indication he has, but we won't know for sure until Thanksgiving. Nathan, you had mentioned luck in passing. It is a part of this, right? Well, yes. um, You make your own luck, all those sorts of things. That's where the fundamentals sometimes comes in. Because again, is Sean Wade bad luck? Is Sean Wade bad fundamentals? two sides of the same coin. But I I think there is something to be said. This is why you can't have, it's why you have to keep getting there. It's why you, you've got to find a way to just get yourself in position. And that's, again, we're about to live in a different world once this 12 team playoff comes into effect. Because the more times you get there, then yes, you're going to occasionally have bad luck. You can't have bad luck every year. At some point you'll have your breakthrough. I don't think we give enough credit today for the 2022 Penn State win in Happy Valley. The win didn't seem as big at the time with Penn State getting their doors blown off at Michigan. But by season's end, that might have been one of the best wins by any team in 2022. Yeah. That's Alex from Kentucky mm-hmm. in the 513. That's a good point. That's why you have you have to be consistent with your logic here. So many good responses. I just I just can't get to everybody. From the 937, Ryan Day is 45 and 6 as a head coach. Losses. Oregon, Clemson, Bama, Michigan twice, Georgia. People don't look at Penn State as a great, great team because Penn State hasn't beaten Ohio State and Michigan. But that's a big win that doesn't get talked about enough. There's another person saying, don't forget the Penn State wins. Unlucky breaks cost us the Clemson game. Oregon, brand new young quarterback during a pandemic, and nobody was going to beat Bama. The Georgia game was right there. Michigan is the only time you can definitely say he was outcoached. From, we'll end it with this one from Alex and Cincy. Context, context, context. Ohio State plays well in big games. 
Clemson was a single missed read. Alabama was one of the best football teams of all time in a year that was strange. Georgia was a missed field goal, and Michigan is a rivalry. I am sure 30% of people will say that Ohio State does not play well in big games. It was actually 67. But I find it hard to say that they don't play well from a football standpoint. I know the numbers don't look good. Two and five isn't great. But this isn't a football issue. These are games, save for Alabama, that were lost for other reasons. This isn't Jim Trestle getting trounced in national championship games. This is competitive football in which one team has to win and one team has to lose. Ohio State had Georgia on its heels, but somebody had to lose. The idea that Ohio State performs poorly in big games is playing wrong. Anyone watching the games could tell you that. Love you guys, Alex and Cincy. So, Stephen, I, I do think there's like there's a variety of thought in there. And again, as usual, I think that 67% that at the beginning said, yeah, there is a big game, uh, 62%. I, I think it's, I don't think it's a pounding the table, foaming at the mouth, how dare you lose these games. I think it's more like, a, eh, man, we sure have had some things not go our way. Man, we were right there and we're, we're, we're two and five in these games, the way Doug categorizes them. Man, I can't believe that. But I do think it's fixable. I, and I don't even know if fixable is the right word. I do think they can have a better record in big games going forward. And I do think the Michigan game is different, but it's not totally different. And that's why I do think the lessons learned from the Georgia game can be applied. Because it's about whatever you have to do to get yourself to play your best in that moment. And yes, the rivalry is always different. But I think maybe there's some things that they showed that they can use. But the problem is Michigan's still going to be good. Michigan's still going to be good. But as other people noted, Stephen, they have been competitive. It is not a doors blown off. It is not a 41-14 Florida game situation. It's not a 35-3 loss at USC in 2008. Those were the times when people were like, what are we doing? It's talent. It's not talent, people say. It's some of this other stuff, but I think they I think they can get better at that, Stephen. Yeah, Ohio State's in a position right now. It's like, okay, how can we finish the job? And that's a good place to be in. Unless, as we talked about on a pod earlier this week, you get to a point with a coach where it feels like he can't get over the hump. And I don't think we're there yet with with Ryan Day whatsoever. I think the texter who brought up the fact that Ryan Day is now in year five of being a head coach, like literally, I don't think I factor that much into my thought process as much as I should. Because it's a very valid point. Because in most cases, people in Day's position just got their second level job. You know, they just, they just left Bowling Green with that resume and went to a lower level power five school. And they're going to spend the next two years there maybe. And if they keep on this trajectory, then they get the big boy job out the gate, Ryan day. And also Lincoln Riley too. their first uh, uh, Kirby smart, their first jobs were big boy jobs. And so immediately they're in the fishbowl and they have to figure things out on the fly. And as Nathan's brought up with Kirby smart, it took him a while to figure it out, even down to like how to pick a quarterback. He picked the wrong quarterback, all because the quarterback he had before him got to the national championship game. You know, Lincoln Riley still figuring out that, hey, there's another side of the ball that you have to go pay attention to and like stop rehiring Alex Grinch. Maybe he gets there, maybe he doesn't. But Ryan Day's in that same position of learning how to be a head coach, learning where should I have my hand what what parts of the wheel should I have my hand on more than other parts of the wheel? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What needs more of my attention in this year versus what may need more of my attention in other years? When you're learning all that stuff while you're at Bowling Green, it's okay because you're probably going to go 
eight and four at best anyway, but also you're learning big game stuff because we're not just like classifying big game as like top five, top 10, top 15, literally anybody who's a power five school, even if they're like Bowling Green is playing Illinois is a big game for that school. So like you get to learn all this stuff on the fly. So maybe it's something that three years from now, we look back at one and say, Ryan Day's figured it out. He just needed a couple of years to do to figure it out because that's what happens when you become a head coach. He just needed some time. And if you just give him some time, he'll get to the point where maybe he's not winning every big game, but the Michigan problem solved itself. And then when you get on this stage and we do a, a pod like this and send out a survey, it's a resounding yes because it feels like a coach who is now in year seven of his head coaching tenure period has figured out how to be a head coach. Urban Meyer in his first game as a 37-year-old head coach took Bowling Green to Missouri and won, and a big game killer was born. Mm. I think it was birthed that day. Urban was like, I mean, and Urban tells stories about, about that Missouri game. It's like, we barely had enough guys to fill out the travel roster, and here we are, and and they won. And so you think, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to get these guys ready for this, and then it works. And then, like, what's Ryan Day's first big game? It was like, it's kind of the Clemson game yeah. in 2019, right? It's like, wow, they played Florida Atlantic and then they played, you know, like Nathan, it was just like that it was an easy schedule. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, how come you didn't put Clemson away? And he's like, I don't know. I never did this before. So it is what it is. It's also one of those things. I think it's reasonable to have in the Ryan Day context. Also, Gene Smith hired him. He'd never coached a right. day as a head coach anywhere in his whole life. So it's like, it's you're the Ohio State head coach. So yes, but well, you're the Ohio State head coach. Figure it out now. We're not grading on a curve here. It's Ohio State. So in the end, I do think it's possible that they start winning more of these, Nathan, maybe just because it's a law of averages. But I also think it's possible that five years from now, when Ryan Day maybe has a little bit of a better record in games like this, he looks back and says things like, you know what? When I was a young coach in those big games, I didn't blank, blank, blank as much as I should have. I don't think he's a finished product. I don't think he gets an A plus in every one of these big games, even though there's other reasons for things that happened. I think there would be things that he would regret, things that he would change. And so I do think is maybe I think it's a really good point that the texts are made. He's still trying to he's still learning. But also year five. Okay. College is four years. Like right. let's do this. It's the urban mind. So I, I, the first four years are on us. Going forward, no, it's that's on true. you. <laughs> it's like LeBron went to Miami and did his four years there. You learn lessons and you get better. Mm-hmm. But I do think, Nathan, I don't think any of this is unreasonable. But I also think it's fair to say that it, it needs to be better. Not drastically better. But I do think that that's a standard. It, it's okay to expect them to win a few more games like this. Yeah. So there's two coaches I want to bring up as kind of final points. One is the one that Steven just mentioned in Kirby Smart. This was the start of his Georgia career. Eight and five. So no playoff winnable, win a non-playoff bowl. 13 and two, go to the national championship game, lose. 11 and uh, two lost regular season, then lose your bowl game. Two lost regular season, win your bowl game, but non-playoff bowl, obviously. Uh, two lost regular season, win your non-playoff bowl. So you're five seasons in, you have one national championship game lost. You're not even making the playoff every year. And then the year you finally do win the national championship, you still lost your big rivalry conference crossover with Alabama in the SEC championship game and then had to beat them again in the in the national championship game. So that's an example of how this can look like no one's more successful in this particular immediate window that we have right now than Kirby Smart, like back to back national championships. But 
there was a successful but not ultimately successful climb to get there. And the Ryan Day standard is not that far off of it. Ryan Day's first four years are more successful than Kirby Smart's first four years were. I think objectively you'd have to say that. The other person I was going to bring up is, because I was thinking about this, with, with Cooper, I wasn't there, but from everything that our texters and other fans say, it started to feel like he couldn't beat Michigan. He wouldn't beat Michigan. And I think that a very, if you were to ask Michigan fans, it might have started to feel a very similar way for Jim Harbaugh in the first several years of his tenure. He he couldn't beat Mich- Ohio State. He wasn't going to beat Ohio State, but, but then he did. So like it, the, the hallmark of the Harbaugh era, era for so many years was that they would be 9-3, and three, but they, the three games they'd lose would be their only big games. They just couldn't win them. They couldn't beat any yep. within the Big Ten, mm-hmm. uh, non-conference big games, bowl game. Like they weren't going to win the substantial. They just would not win them. And now they've they fixed it. So again, small sample size. I think it's interesting to like take some benchmarks and what where things are trending and kind of analyze how Ryan Day is changing in his approach to all games and maybe these big games especially. But we're still just just I understand why fans are like so eager to have the big breakthrough. Uh, but at the same time, it is still relatively young. It's just we're having this conversation at a very interesting point, though, because 2023, so many things have been building for 2023. And a lot of things change for 2024, both with the structure of college football and, quite frankly, this roster very dramatically, possibly. So 2023 is a super interesting year in like being one of those tent pole years for Ryan Day's legacy. We talk about headlines a lot at Cleveland.com. Why Ryan Day should be inspired by Jim Harbaugh is mm. that's Nathan Baird <laughs> just laid it out. Ryan, let Jim be a beacon for you in the darkness. That's, you too, someday, Ryan, you too can be like Jim Harbaugh. That's the day Nathan writes that headline, and the rest of us just go to da- to our bosses. Yeah, we're not writing anything that day. We're just gonna stay out the way. Just I, let I have a great story. Or, I, yeah, I have a great story book. for the day, but like I would rather people read it and not be clicking on Nathan's story all day. So we're just going to stay out the way for the next 48 hours and Nathan have fun. You know who I think would read that story and click on that headline? Ryan Day. What? Should I be inspired by who? What? What oh, is Nathan Baird claiming? Read the story. I feel like Ryan Day would be in Nathan Baird's phone so fast. <laughs> it's like, why did... 58 people text me your story, Nathan. What is this? It's like, I don't know, man. I'm just trying to write an interesting headline. Sorry. Okay. That's our big game discussion. I'm glad we did it. Thanks again to the texter who started it. Um, We hit some like big picture stuff hard here. We got some rapid fire stuff coming. It's Michigan week. It is Michigan week as you listen to this, which means it is the halfway point between last year's Ohio State-Michigan game and this year's Ohio State-Michigan game. And we at Cleveland.com all this week are writing stories about the rivalry, where things stand, what's changed, what hasn't changed. Uh, So we would direct you to cleveland.com slash OSU all week for that. And again, we would direct you backwards to the Friday pod if you did not listen to our two-hour breakdown of Ohio State Clemson from 2020. Rewatching that informed part of this discussion. Thanks to you guys for making us part of your Ohio State fandom. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was... Buckeye Talk.